You're listening to episode 53 of the Tennis Files podcast with special guest Ben Rothenberg. Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s-inspired style and cutting-edge performance technology with its sleek mid-cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi-piece upper construction delivers high-energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at newbalance.com. Welcome to the Tennis Files Podcast, bringing you advice from the top minds in tennis to help you improve your game. And now, here's your host, Mirban Iranshad. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of the show. Uh, for this episode, I've got a very special guest for you. His name is Ben Rothenberg. Uh, he is a writer for the New York Times as well as uh, one of the hosts on the uh, no, Ch- no Challenges Remaining podcast, uh, which is a very fantastic podcast covering the pro game. And so this episode is going to be me speaking with Ben about the City Open that uh, happened um, in late July to early August. And it was one of the best fields that we've had in a long time. Uh, Halep from the women's side. Uh, chose to join, and she's number two in the world. On the men's side, we had Milos Raonic, Dominic Team, Kane Shikori, Nick Kyrgios, um, and a lot of other great players uh, joined the men's field. And so it was definitely a really great tournament. And as you all may remember, um, this is my third year where I've been uh, able to get a, uh, a press credentials to cover the tournament. So I actually did a bunch of vlogs that you can check out at uh, tennisfiles.com slash YouTube, uh, along with a bunch of, you know, interviews with the players one-on-one and also press conferences and stuff like that. Um, so that's all up on my YouTube channel. But for day, today, uh, I, for this episode, rather, I talked with Ben about the tournament and also about, you know, other things regarding the WTA and ATP Tour. So we had a lot of fun. We spoke uh, on Championship Sunday, uh, inside the uh, the media tent, actually where the players have their press conferences, and so Ben was kind enough to spend uh, some of his day with me. He's, he's a really uh, busy guy, and he's I think he's in Montreal right now, so he travels to tournaments around the globe, which is pretty cool. Uh, I don't do it nearly as much, <laughs> but uh, in any case, I hope you enjoy. Uh, this uh, episode, uh, and if you enjoy the pro game, I think you'll really like uh, Ben's analysis about uh, the players and the tournament. So without further ado, here's my interview with Ben Rothenberg. Hey, everybody. This is Marabon from Tennis Files, and we have the honor of having uh, Ben Rothenberg with us. He, uh, he's a, a fantastic uh, writer from the New York Times, as well as uh, No Challenges Remaining uh, podcast, which I'm a fan of. So uh, yeah, Ben, how's, uh, how's your experience been so far at the tournament? It's been good. It's um, I haven't been writing too much stuff that's actually going up this week for the Times or anything. So it's been a relative. I've been just been sort of gathering a bunch of stuff for various US Open previews. So it's been a relatively light week. I still just do like coming here half as a fan, really. Even though I am media credential, just because it's the tournament I grew up with and staying and watching late tennis. I think the atmosphere here is really good. Uh, and some of those like late night matches are some of my favorite moments of the year. Especially like I like really empty stadiums, which is probably counterintuitive or counter what most people like. Um, so like I remember the young Smechek match that was on Monday that was finished at like one thirty a.m. in front of like maybe eighty people was awesome. And so more of that and plenty of rain this year to help that happen. And it was a it was a good tournament. I mean, it wasn't 
an amazing final with Zverev winning pretty easily, but it's, it's always a good week, and the people here uh, do a good job, and it's getting better with every year, pretty much. Yeah, we definitely have had a fantastic field. Uh, you know, a lot of great players like uh, Kyrgios, who you know went out early, and and uh, you know all the top seeds that came. Um, but uh, you know, in your estimation, what was one of the big surprises of the tournament? Biggest surprise of the tournament was Yuki Bambri, uh, who came out of more or less normal. I mean, he's been somebody people had known uh, for a while because he was a really good junior. He won a junior slam in Australia, I think, in 2009. And but he had never really done almost anything on the pro level to speak of, and him playing as well as he did to beat Malfis, who's the defending champion, and then back that up with another win against Guido Pea. That was impressive. Uh, so I didn't see that coming at all. Uh, that was probably the one biggest surprise story. And then and then Tommy Paul, I think also it's a big surprise making quarterfinals, also like Bambury, uh, and played really well against Kane Shikori at three match points, and had to and played pretty well in those match points. So Nishikori had to come up with some pretty special stuff to beat him. So. And Paul's another guy who a little much short, younger than Bambry, but also is a good junior who hadn't quite translated it to pro success before last week in Atlanta, where he made quarters also, I think. So uh, so he's doing big things. Yeah, what was impressive about him was he lost to Mueller uh, the week before in Atlanta, and then he actually beat him in the round of 16 to get to the quarters. So that was fantastic. Um, and so who was, you know, one of the most impressive uh, players uh, or two on the women's side for you? Let's see. Women's side. Um, it's good to see. It's good to see uh, Petkovic doing well. This is her one of her better results in a while, making the semifinals. She's had a rough stretch. She was outside the top hundred this week, actually, uh, with various injuries and just sort of ups and downs in, in her last couple of years. She's got a new coaching team, and she seemed to at least put it all together this week and played played very well. And could have beaten Gurgis with up a break in that third set in their semifinal. Uh, so she's positive signs for her. Uh, Dodan also had a good result, making it to the. Uh, semifinals also. Makarova and Gurgis are not really big surprises to make the final. Uh, Halep looked okay. I mean, she was b- battled the heat, and it was she had to play back to back to back days in the two o'clock slot there, which is where the heat was at its worst. Uh, so I don't read too much into her losing early. It was great for this tournament to have her here. I mean, she's the highest ranked player, man or woman, at number two to play here. I think since 2003 when Agassi played it when he was number one. Uh, so it's, that's a good sign for her. And yeah, I mean, I, I don't think anything too dramatically shifted. On the women's side this week, I think things more or less stuck to the script. Andreescu was the other one I haven't named. Who's a quarterfinalist who who had a big breakout and beating Milenovic, which is probably disappointing for Milenovic. Uh, but yeah, it, it, it's a not not the craziest weeks in WTA, I don't think. Yeah, I'd agree with you. And so we had again amazing field on the men's side, especially uh, you know Roundich team and so forth. Um, but at Nishikori as well. But they didn't quite live up to the seeding per se. So. Do you think that just the physicality or maybe the like you know the stretch of how long the night matches played were uh, an effect uh, on on the results? It was definitely an effect for Nishikori with how relatively easily he lost his Zverev. I think he had he had been on the late shift kind of all week and caught up to him and he had a tough round a couple rounds before that against Del Potro and uh which was mostly tough because there was a long rain delay I think in the middle of that or right before it and then Tommy Paul took a lot out of him also. So I I really thought Zverev was going to win that relatively straightforwardly and he did. Um, but yeah, I think with Nishikori and with uh, Dimitrov and Lucas Pui, uh, who's here, and Malfis also, it was their first hardcore tournament for all of them, I believe, this uh, this summer, and they all just kind of looked a little bit rusty and were wound up being ripe for various upsets. Yeah, and so Dimitrov, uh, I didn't really get to see his match that much, but I mean, did you get to see or get a sense of, you know, what exactly happened with that one? I did not see, I don't think any, I'm trying to remember who he lost to. Um, he lost to someone, and it was quick. 
Um, and yeah, no, I didn't see any yeah, of it. Yeah. It was, it was, it was just like three or four matches going on at the time here. I don't think I saw any of Dimitrov. No, he lost to Medvedev. Right. Um, and he had beaten Medvedev in a uh, tight three-setter in Queen's Club. Uh, and Medvedev was playing well this week. Medvedev was another guy who sort of had a breakout-ish moment. He's a, another next-gen guy who hasn't gotten talked about much. He's a seems to be a very polarizing figure on tour. I mean, he, Steve Johnson got real mad at him during that match, which nobody saw, and which luckily for Steve, he, I don't think the on-court microphones were all that good during that match. So I went back to listen. I heard a lot more in person than I heard uh, you could hear on the TV version in terms of just how angry uh, Johnson was at Medvedev. Uh, yeah, but so Medvedev had another breakout tournament making quarterfinals here also, and I think probably will make it to Milan, even if he's not a guy people have been talking about. They probably should. I mean, he beat... Vavrinka first round of uh, Wimbledon, even if Vavrinka was hurt, and it's had a couple other pretty solid results uh, this year. Yeah, definitely. And I was I was going to ask you also about Medvedev in the respect that uh, obviously this incident. I mean, do you think that you know the time that he took? And I, again, sorry, I don't know if you were there, but do you think that was kind of uh, just a strategy, strategic ploy? Yeah, I wasn't watching the match when that happened. That happened. I started watching the third set. That happened second set. Um, maybe. I mean, I there. It just seems to sort of be his reputation. Uh, on tour from what I can, from I'm gathering fairly or not I, I don't know enough to know but that does seem to be a bit of his reputation in the locker room at this point and those sort of things can be you know confirmation bias sometimes if you think a guy is going to be unfair possibly you will you know if he does take the mental you automatically assume his gamesmanship uh, so I, I like I didn't see it I don't know it seemed to be more the issue that he took it he asked for it like right at the end of a medical timeout or, or sorry right at the end of a changeover right. as to create maximum delay or something uh, and then took a long break to change clothes or something. I'm not really sure what happened, but but Johnson was definitely, definitely irritated. And uh, yeah, I've heard I've, I've heard other people on tour that similar sort of things have happened in other matches. But uh, I don't know enough to make any firm conclusions. Sure. Well, I mean, I think uh, Medvedev is a very generous guy. You know, I heard he throws coins out at people. Yeah. Uh, it's like a Robin Hood. <laughs> yeah, throwing coins at umpires is a uh, tax deductible. It's a great <laughs> charity there. Sure is. Um, and so obviously another thing that happened here, well, as far as like controversy in some respects was the talk about the court conditions. We had Jack Sox, you know, kind of uh, complain about it. And so, I mean, what's your take? I mean, we did have, uh, I forgot if it was which player. I think Nishikori said that uh, two years ago when he played, it was slower. So again, what's your take on all this? So there's a big difference between court speed being not someone's liking and complaining about actual like, quality of the courts, which is more what Jack was doing. Jack was saying there were a lot of bad bounces and, I guess, spots where there were bad bounces. And Anderson sort of didn't totally deny that. I mean, there were a couple of places where a ball might bounce a little strange. And looking at the court, I mean, there are a couple of places I was sitting down on the court level. They were kind of looked a little bit wavy almost, but nothing too, too crazy. But players can't notice that. I think it was... 99% about Jack being a sore loser in that instance. I mean, he hadn't said anything. He'd played all his matches on that court the whole tournament. Uh, and if he'd had issues with it before, he could have mentioned something then. Um, but I think it was more just about him losing and coming straight into press and, and still being sort of uh, riled up over over losing. And uh, he vowed not to come back here. Uh, we'll see if he holds to that. He may or may not. It's still a big tournament in his home country. Um I don't know. It was, it was an odd moment for him. And I, I think, obviously, no one else had complained about that at all with these courts. The courts, I think, were certainly, if not perfect and totally fine. And Jack's probably a guy who likes slower courts also. Um, likes, he says clay is his favorite surface, and so he's had some pretty decent results on clay. Uh, so I think he probably just is frustrated overall, with the, especially coming off the court against Kevin Anderson as a huge serve. You're going to feel like everything's stacked against you. So I think it was more about him just being pissed off in, in defeat than anything. Uh, I, the tournament, I think they resurface these courts every couple of years. Uh, they might do it again. They might see if there are, is any 
non plainerness to it but i think overall it's probably not too bad because like i said no one else was complaining about it we i've been at tournaments where people complain about the courts constantly like rome has really patchy courts with a lot of holes in them uh notably uh wimbledon gets frequently or any grass court tournament people talk about the courts a lot because they do wear down pretty quickly but this tournament had never heard anything quite like that from before from jack so i'm gonna willing to bet that it's just a jack problem more than a court problem Agreed. Yeah, I've only been here three years, but I haven't heard anything about it either. Um, and so for Jack, I mean, obviously, you know, it seemed like he got pretty pissed off. Do you think this is something that might hinder him in his career? Or do you think it's just kind of something that is apart from his tennis game that isn't really a, a big deal for him? Because he's obviously, you know, doing pretty well the last several months. But I mean, what's your take on that? You can see this sort of moment as being symptomatic of his mindset or his sort of his nature or his attitude. And that could be taken negatively. I mean, Jack, I don't think Jack is regarded as a particularly tough quote unquote player on tour. Um, I don't think he's seen as one of the better sort of, you know, warriors out there. Um, He's, you know, and fairly or not, but this, that sort of moment of that, I think feeds into that. I mean, he could certainly, you know, he would certainly be served by being uh, probably a lot more sort of uh, impervious to sort of outside influences. He, he just has a lot of ups and downs in his matches. He runs hot and cold. He has moments where he sort of tanks partial moments in matches and comes back and goes up and down in effort level. Uh, he had one match in Houston this year. I forget who it was against, but his effort was all over the place. He eventually won it, but it was very sort of lumpy. And he had a couple of matches like that against Taylor Fritz and Slams last year that went the same way. So I don't know. I I, I think Jack uh, is far from a fully formed, you know, perfect player and competitor, uh, despite his obvious raw talent with his forehand and everything like that, and his pretty good speed. Uh, so he's a lot. He's a lot of room to improve, and and yeah, attitude definitely could be one of those areas. Yeah, for sure. And so Kevin Anderson, obviously extremely impressive. I think he's around forty five right now. His career high was fourteen. Uh, I've actually had uh, his one of his fitness coaches, Alistair McCall, on the show. But um, how impressed were you with you know how he was hitting? I mean, we saw him, especially in the team match, going stroke for stroke from the baseline, which I was particularly impressed with. So, uh, how do you feel about you know his trajectory? No, he's on the right path again. I mean, he was playing really well uh, when he got into the top ten. I think twenty fifteen, late twenty fifteen, before getting hurt, and he made the U.S. Open quarterfinals, which was his first Slam quarter uh, after a lot of years of knocking on the door. So he's a guy with a lot of talent who's like, not exactly the same as, but somewhat like a, a Sam Query, who uh, is a big guy with a big serve, who will win a lot of cheap points and is shoring up the rest of his game very well. Um, but Kevin's, yeah, Kevin's a very professional guy. He, he puts a lot of effort and uh, meticulousness into his fitness, into his diet, all sorts of things like that. Uh, his team has always been very well. Uh, it's a pretty consistent team over the years, and they've, they've always stuck together very well and been very focused uh his his wife is part of that she sort of does a little managing for him kelsey uh and um, must, along with his longtime coach uh who he's had for a long time and, and yeah he's he's a very professional guy and it's not at all a surprise to see him make the final of this tournament um he's a guy with his game who controls his own destiny and i was i didn't know before the tournament or before they played i hadn't noticed that five love head-to-head advantage he had against team which turned into six zero mm-hmm. here uh but he certainly that's a good matchup for him and team maybe isn't the best of top players at playing the really tall big servers he's i mean he's, i looked he was only one one against isner which doesn't say much but uh but anderson certainly seems to have his number yeah yeah exactly and so 
Another question for you, like you talked about how uh, the great team that uh, Kevin Anderson has in all your years coming here and obviously many other tournaments, what maybe one or two players are you most impressed uh, with as far as their work ethic? Ooh, uh, there's a lot of, and there's a lot of good ones for that. Um, Andy Murray is one that comes to mind. He's, he's been here once or no, twice. He was here when I was here as a fan in 06, he made the final and didn't come back for a long time and came back 2014. 15 and lost first round uh but it was a big deal <laughs> he was here uh he's he's someone who's a very very professional team uh some of the same people who are now working with uh Sasha Zverev like Jess Green who's his uh strength coach uh, had worked with Murray before and now works with both Zverev brothers and has helped with them a lot uh yeah Murray's someone who's just a day in day out very very good work ethic and it's the first one that comes to mind for that because I don't think unlike the other big four guys I don't think he has that enormous crazy talent that they do um, but he makes up for it with incredible drive and work ethic and fitness. He's one of the most athletic guys on tour. Um, yeah, so, so he's, he's the first one that comes to mind for me for that for that category. Gotcha. Yeah, that's a great pick for sure. And so obviously a lot of us are <laughs> curious about um, appearance fees, or at least some yeah. of us. Like, I'm just curious, you know, in, in your experience, do you think that – how many players do you think actually get appearance fees? That is a great question. <laughs> I'm not sure. I would like to know more about this. It's not something that's published very often. There's occasionally certain, I might be wrong with this, but there's occasionally certain states or countries where certain records don't seem made public for, you know, legal financial stuff. And then occasionally you'll see appearance fees, like a whole list of them pop out for somewhere. Um, But I think they happen pretty frequently and they can be pretty small, pretty token. But I'm guessing. a guy like Dimitrov, probably, and this, again, this is completely shot in the dark, but a guy like Dimitrov, who was an early commit to this tournament, who the tournament announced was playing like, back in March or something like that, that's when you know, when someone like signs on to a tournament and they're like a pretty high-profile guy that early, that's when you're pretty sure that it's a, it is a situation where there was some sort of contract negotiated for their appearance, and they might get some money, they might get some, you have to do some sponsor visits or suite visits in return for that, something like that. Um, people who sign up late for the tournament, Probably less likely. Even Halep, who's number two, I don't know for sure that she would have gotten anything because she got a wild, late wild card and just and asked for Stanford first. So I think she just wanted a tournament. So hopefully it would be nice if she got some money, especially because <laughs> women's prize money is not very much here. Um, but I, I don't know that she did. But maybe like a, a Bouchard or a Steven Sewer earlier commits might have gotten might have gotten something out of it. Um, it it's tough to know. I know like. Uh, yeah, I, I, I really can't say. I think sometimes tournaments bank on people just playing because it makes the most scheduling sense. Uh, 500 is sort of the level where it comes most into play because it is an optional tournament for everybody, unlike a Masters. Uh, but we'll see. I, I heard that floated as a reason for why Francis Tiafo might not have played here this year, which was the big sort of entry list head scratcher this year um, because he's from D.C. area uh, and he would have been in this draw easily, but he went to play in Mexico instead. And so that didn't make any sense on paper. And usually when things, when scheduling decisions don't make sense, the answer is money. That's usually the sort of thing that makes it all make sense in the end. Um, Although I'm still, if that is right, I'm still confused by it because I can't imagine that Los Cabos would think that he was worth that much money. Because he's, you know, relatively unknown, still up and coming American guy who hasn't won that many tour level matches. So I don't know. I'm, I was remaining confused by that. Yeah, I mean, who knows if they're maybe trying to get him early and keep him there. But again, yeah, Washington yeah. native. But yeah, exactly. But that that makes sense. I've heard that. But like, I don't know why Los Cabos would think they have any long term chances of like keeping Tiafo loyal when it's going to be against his home tournament. Right. 
So maybe he asked for money from, this is again, completely sure. non-official. It's very possible he asked for money from Washington, didn't get it, and was thought like, hey, I'm a local, you deserve to give me more money, and tried to leverage it against Cabos, and Washington sort of called his bluff and was like, fine, leave, whatever. Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s-inspired style and cutting-edge performance technology with its sleek mid-cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi-piece upper construction delivers high-energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. Yeah, or maybe he just, you know, played one too many Castles matches and he just wanted out. Uh, but, yeah, again, you know, like TFO and also Tred Huey, uh, who's a native here in doubles, and uh, Karlovich, who was a finalist. Dennis Kudler didn't come here either, although that's more about his ranking. I think I, the cut was really low for the main draw this year. It was like 180 or something. And I know Mitchell Kruger got in main draw direct, and the qualities field was really weak this year um, compared to most years when you usually have a couple guys near top 100 in there. Um, so I think Kudla, who was born in DC, grew up in Northern Virginia and trained with Tiafo at the, in college park. Um, I think that he just didn't think he was going to get in and didn't play. Yeah, but you're right. Karlovich didn't play. I'm not sure why that, I think, did he play Los Cabos? Uh, I believe he did. I think he I saw him in the tournament last year. No, no, he, no, he played here last year. Yeah, he was finalist. That's right. He was finalist here and yeah, so he switched it up, I guess. I mean, I hear, I hear it's a nice place. But. Well, I think last year they weren't the same week because uh, because last year was an Olympic year. You are correct. So schedule was a little different. Yeah, so I think he did win it last year. And, and so he was in a, a bit of a bind schedule-wise, but eh. yeah. Gotcha. So how about the doubles? Any impressions? I mean, obviously, you know, Melo and Kubat, they've had a great year, 16 in a row before they lost in the finals, the continent peers. But uh, what are your thoughts on the doubles for the men? First thought on the doubles, I'm not sure how much you mentioned Mello. I don't know how much coverage this has gotten, but Mello, Marcelo Mello is working on a, I don't know, formal or informal basis with Sasha Zverev on his double, on his volleys, which have been considered like the weakest point of his game for a while now. But he, like the Papa Zverev, his father, Alexander Sr., has um, brought him in uh, to coach with that. So that's his little Mello tidbit. Um, yeah, I mean, Melo Kubo are having a good run, and it's been such a chaotic time in men's doubles. There's been so much, so many switches in the number one ranking and slams, so many first-time slam winners, some crazy number, something, and I don't know, I haven't looked this up since a while ago, so I'm not going to get exactly right, but something like eight of the last 11 slams have been won by two guys who'd never won a slam before, which is, you can't imagine that happening in singles lately. That'd be crazy, but it's been a totally, totally influx period in men's doubles since the Brian stopped being as dominant. And nothing's really come together. And all the guys, with the exception of Continent, most of the guys are like pretty old by tennis standards in their in their mid late thirties. Um, so so it could continue to be a, a pretty uh, chaotic time. I don't know when it's gonna finally come together. Yeah, for sure. And obviously, everyone loves the Bryans. Everyone roots for them very hard, especially here. Uh, you know, obviously, they've been on the tour for a long time. They played their first Grand Slam in 1995, I think, US Open. And so, I mean, as far as their trajectory, I mean, they're, you know, they're fighting hard. But what do you what do you think about uh, whether they can come back and win another slam or two? Yeah, they've made noises about retiring. Um, I forget what they were saying earlier this year, but maybe haven't even considered stopping last year. So it would not be a surprise if the U.S. Open was their last slam. Uh, I haven't heard anything official on that. I don't know. Love to see them keep going, but obviously they are guys who more than put in their time and have have uh, three kids. Bob has three kids, um, and 
yeah, so it wouldn't be surprised if they stopped. I, I think this last couple of years, they've had a, a, a few close calls with slams. They made a couple finals, I think, at least one. I'm trying to remember. Couple, I think. Yeah, they made an Australian Open final this right. year. Um, so, and they wanted the French also. So, yeah, so they've had some close calls, and it would be nice to see them get one more to go out on. Uh, but just nothing's guaranteed. The margins and doubles are so small, and that, looking back, makes it all the more incredible they were able, able to do what they did for so long, uh, especially uh, that year they almost won a calendar slam. They made it to the semis of the U.S. Open. So just two matches away, like Serena, I think the year before, two years before she did it. Uh, so, yeah, so they've, they've defied odds a lot, and they have everything to be proud of, definitely future Hall of Famers, uh, and hopefully they find some good note to go out on whenever whenever that is. For sure, and so... Uh... Yeah, I can't remember how to pronounce her name, but Gorgas. Uh, <laughs> Julia Gerges? Yeah, Gerges, right. So her against Makarova, they're playing as we speak, I believe. So. Yeah, I think when we came in here was 5 3 Gerges. In the first set, yeah. So I, I'm, this, I'm sure by the time anyone sees this video, it will be over. So I don't know, I don't know what user is prognosticating who wins that match. Yeah. But she's had a good year. Um, she made the final of a tournament in Mallorca I was also at. Um, so yeah, she's coming together. She's got a good coaching setup right now, and seems to be playing pretty well. I mean, she's a former top twenty player, was a very highly touted player five six years ago. Um, it just hasn't really panned out. Never really had a big slam result either. Um, but she's coming together well, and she battled that match. Her semifinal against Petkovic was really good last night. It was and so obviously you, you travel a lot, Ben. I'm just curious. Uh, you know, how many weeks of the year do you travel to tournaments? Okay, um, I was, I'm pretty much usually gone all of January, uh, so one lead-up tournament first week of January, and then three weeks in Melbourne, um, and then I usually go to Indian Wells. I always go to Indian Wells, I uh, have the last five years, six years anyway, uh, so that's another two weeks, that's six, and then sometimes to Charleston or Miami, so that's another week, and then I am in Europe pretty much from beginning of May through mid-July for... Rome, Madrid, Rome, sometimes Madrid, once Madrid, Rome, French Open, some grass court tournament, Wimbledon. Um, so yeah, so it's, and then here, which just doesn't really count, so I'm still sl- staying at home this week, which is nice. Um, and then Cincinnati and New York for three weeks. So I, I haven't been, I should have been adding up a, a rough, a little less than half the year, probably on the road for tournaments. It can depend a little bit each year. I haven't traveled so much in the fall last couple of years, which has been nice. Uh, American like attention span or interest in tennis really dips a lot after the U.S. Open. We don't care too much about the Asian swing, or there's not another slam coming right up. It, 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 people don't see the reason to care. So I've learned that over the years and, and use it as useful hibernation time mostly. Uh, so yeah, about, about half the year. Oh yeah. yeah, it's definitely really cool that you can go to all these amazing tournaments, and as long as you can deal with some of the sleep deprivation, you know, you're, you're good. I, tennis hours pretty much fit well. For me, like this, this tournament is like a 2 p.m. to 2 a.m. tournament, which like really perfectly fits my sleep schedule. I'm not af- afraid to admit. So, um, yeah, so tennis usually it's good. I mean, it varies a lot. Some tournaments don't have night sessions. And so obviously you have a one of the top rated uh, podcasts, No Challenges Remaining. Tons of people listen to it. I do. So, yeah, sure. So, like... As far as the frequency and stuff, like, did you normally just do that, like, around tournament times, or you know, when when can we check it out? Yeah, our frequency has fallen off a little bit this year. We were on a pretty good pace of doing it weekly uh, for a couple years, um, which is a lot of work, and it's not yeah. always, especially honestly, as we near like we've done over two hundred episodes, we're about to hit episode number two hundred. We kind of number them kind of weird, 
but uh, <laughs> it becomes harder for us to feel like there's new fresh material to talk about every week um, a lot of times. Uh, so we've done a couple you know, side interviews that will go up at various points um, with a couple people here. Uh, but yeah, so we do it mostly every week. It's available on iTunes, No Challenges Remaining. Uh, we're on Twitter. <laughs> I did my little sign off. I do the show. We're on Twitter at NCR underscore tennis. Uh, yeah, and we've done it since 2012. So we've done, yeah, a lot of episodes, done a lot of slams. We got Kickstarter support, which has been really good, uh, a couple of years ago. Still trying to send out, we're still working on rewards for those. Our schedules have not lent themselves as well as I thought to sending out postcards from slams, which is our original idea because we are at our busiest during slams. So that was a probably a terrible idea, <laughs> but, uh, still, still have a stack of those working through on my desk. And those will get to people eventually. And yeah, no, our listeners have been have been great, stuck with us for a long time through various iterations of the show, and uh, hopefully have some cool stuff for them in the future. Hey, you guys both do great work. And so, uh, last question for you: Where can we follow you on social media? Oh boy, uh, my Twitter handle is just Ben Rothenberg. That's easy. That's pretty much it for my social media. I start. I thought about having an official Facebook page. I might do that at some point. I don't really see the point yet. But Twitter is my favorite social network for sure. So I'm on there way too much. Yeah, uh, me too. Yeah, it's very newsworthy. Like, it's the best platform for that. So, for like reporters, I think it's the preferred one for sure. Cool. Well, so Ben, really appreciate you being uh, on the podcast and you know, on on the video. So, thanks a lot. Thanks, everyone. Appreciate it. Thanks, Ben. All right. I hope you enjoyed my interview with Ben Rothenberg. I appreciate him coming on uh, once again. I'll have links to the show notes and uh, any links to uh, social media profiles, uh, which you can find at tennisfiles.com slash 53. Ben has a lot of great uh, updates on his, uh, especially on his Twitter profile. He's, I think he's got like 57K followers. I'm actually on his Twitter page, so that's why I know. But <laughs> uh, yeah, so appreciate it, Ben. And uh, if you guys uh, would like to subscribe to the Tennis Files podcast, you can do so by going to tennisfiles.com slash iTunes or uh, just subscribe on whatever app you use to listen to the show. Um, and again, I, I put a lot of work into the uh, the vlogs, they call them. They're basically uh, a bunch of video clips um, during the day and night of uh, my exploits at the City Open. I think they're pretty hilarious. Uh, special thanks to my videographer, Victor, and also uh, the guy who edits the videos, Omar, for, for doing all that stuff. I definitely couldn't have done it without those guys. Um, you know, I was up till like two, three a.m. each day, just about, you know, trying to get the clips uh, compiled and all that, and uploading the interviews and and everything. But it was really a lot of great fun, and I always enjoy interviewing some of the best players in the world. Uh, especially, I think probably the highlight was getting a one on one with Milos Raonic, which uh, is usually pretty hard to do since he's a top ranked player. Uh, and just, you know, having a lot of fun at the city open. So it's that one time a year where I get to almost act and be like a, a full fledged journalist, if you will, uh, except I was just mainly doing a ton of video this time around. So, uh, yeah. So if you'd like to check out any of my stuff on YouTube, just go to tennisfiles.com slash YouTube. Again, thanks so much for listening to this episode and we will see you on the next episode of the Tennis Files podcast. Take care, guys. Thanks for listening to the Tennis Files podcast. For more tips to help you improve your tennis game, visit TennisFiles.com.